G'day guys and girls, welcome to episode 11 of the Shack series. This episode, we'll have Adam Cable coming on. Adam uh, used to be an elite swimmer, now an elite coach out of the New South Wales Institute of Sport in Sydney. Uh, he coaches at Sydney Olympic Park. Uh, and some of his elite swimmers that he's got in his club, uh, Matt Wilson, who broke the world record last year in the 200 breaststroke. Uh, Meg Bailey, who was a Commonwealth Games competitor in 2018, and Brad Woodward, who is a Commonwealth Games medalist. So during this episode, we'll talk a bit about his swimming career, more so about his coaching career and his coaching philosophies. We'll get to know a little bit behind the mind of Adam. Uh, so stay tuned and get ready to learn a bit. Mr. Adam Cable. Jacob, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Mate, fantastic. You're at work. I am at work. I know it's quite rare, but I am at work um, kicking goals and um, yeah. In know. the CEO's chair, I see. I am in the CEO's chair. I am the CEO. I'm uh, taking over for the next uh, maybe 30 minutes. <laughs> How have you been? What have you been up to this morning? Uh, my training and then gym and then... Uh... Uh, a couple of meetings before I joining you for this fantastic chat, Jacob. Oh, it's been going uh, really well. We had we had uh, Andrew Lauderstein on earlier. It was a great chat. So, um, yeah, you got uh, big shoes to fill. He's got big shoes. <laughs> big arms too. Massive arms, yes. <laughs> well, thanks so much uh, for coming on and, um, you know, answering some of the questions that I've got for you, being able to get a bit inside your head, um, you know, quoting Brett Hawke there, but uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm ready to go. So uh, give us a bit uh, of a background on your, on your swimming and coaching career and kind of, um, you know, the stepping stones that you took to get where you are today. Uh, well, my swimming career, that will be short because uh, there's probably not a lot to report. Um, but from a coaching point of view, I was studying physio um, and doing a bit of coaching part-time. Um, that coaching started to get more and more. Some kids, that was at a club called Bankstown Sports, which you know pretty well. Um, the, everybody started to win national medals and things like that. And the job grew from being part-time to a more full-time basis and then um, Jim Fowley and Brent Best Institute of Sport in New South Wales asked me to come along in 2011 to be an assistant coach there. A pretty successful program. We had all five people in 2012 uh, make the Olympics, um, most notably Magnuson with his individual silver. Um, and then in 2014, I went from there and coached alongside Brandt and then taking some of the more junior roles, which uh, you were in that as a young fella, as you know. Uh, and then in 2016, um, took over as the high performance coach and have been there since. That's a do, you think, do you think uh, your swimming career helped you progress your coaching career? And if so, what sort of aspects do you think you got? You know, you were uh, an athlete, you're an elite athlete swimmer. Um, so do you think a lot of those aspects of, you know, the mentality side or the, the training side really helped you progress your coaching career? Uh, you just cutting out there. You're, oh, you're back. Oh, um, 
Well, I think probably uh, you've unfrozen. Uh, I think um, probably not so much from a uh, what I did, but probably more so from what I saw from other coaches. So uh, I always thought of coaching as something I was going to do, whether it was going to be a full-time thing or a part-time thing. And I was really fortunate to have some great coaches in my career um, and really different styles. So I do vividly remember sitting and watching um, the ways coaches coach sets they gave and ways they talk to athletes and ways they motivated athletes and disciplined athletes and thinking, oh, I'd do that better or, yeah, no, I think they did a really good job of that. And I think that's probably been the big benefit from my swimming career uh, as opposed to, as well as the, I suppose, the discipline and the time management skills you learn from managing swimming and school and uni, et cetera. Yeah. So you mentioned before uh, that you have a physio background. Um, when you were doing your course, uh, did you ever think that, you know, eventually that would move aside and you'd become this high performance coach at the, you know, Australia's greatest club? <laughs> Well, I was your physio at the time, I'm fairly sure. So I, that's probably why I left the profession. But uh, <laughs> no, I, well, it was a bit of a part part. So when I, so the physiotherapy practice that I worked at is on level two of the New South Wales Institute of Sport Building. So it worked out really nicely. I was doing both for a period of time, assistant coaching and physioing. And um, there was probably a fair period of time. I wasn't sure which avenue it would go. And then um, I really started to get more engaged in the coaching and it, there was definitely a tipping point and then I, I went off in that direction and the physio was taking a back seat. I still was practicing up until 20, yeah, like last year, um, just a couple of days a week just to keep my hand in it. But it, things are just getting too busy now. So as much as I enjoy it, um, I'm fully, well, I'm only coaching at the moment. Yeah, until someone in the squad gets injured, then you start practicing on pool deck again. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. Very uh, good swipe your healthcare card there. Thank you. <laughs> we've got a very good physiotherapist, uh, Brent Kirkbride. He would be very upset if he knew I was taking his job. <laughs> <laughs> you could never replace Brett, and he could no. never replace you. I mean, it works. <laughs> oh, there we go. What was your, what's your, been your favourite uh, experience as a coach so you've been on a lot of teams um, is there one that that kind of sticks out from the others I know that you've had plenty of experiences um, you know wrestling Mooney and Boxel on camp uh, yeah well are you talking about from the swimming point of view or from uh... oh you can you can have a great experience outside of swimming that's fine Oh, well, I mean, outside of the pool, if you take nothing to do with the racing, the um, 2017, we did a really big tour of Europe, I think, went from like France, to the Netherlands, to Germany, yeah, you're with me for half of that. Um, and then we raced in um, Budapest for the world champs. That was a fantastic experience. I think I was overseas traveling around Europe for 10 weeks or so. Um, from a swimming point of view, obviously, last year at Guangzhou, um, Matt, uh, equaling the world record in the semi-final. Um, that was a really big moment, very exciting, uh, especially that gap between the semi and the final. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I want to talk a bit more about uh, going into camp. So you love going into camp, if that be for the Australian swim team 
or for your own squad at SOPAC. So what's, what's your favorite thing about going into camp? Like, what do you look forward to most other than fast swimming? Well, I think the, the thing with training camps is that it really facilitates a, um, a hundred percent focus on the task at hand. So you swim, you go home, recover for the next session, then you swim, then you recover for the next session. Uh, that's not a healthy thing to live uh, 365 days a year, but for targeted periods of time throughout the year. And now normally camps coincide with particular training blocks in which that's necessary. So there may be a shift in the um, training style that we're doing in which we're, I'm going to ask for a little bit more, a bit of an overload period. Um, and you often see because of the, the, the training camp effect, we call it, you see um, athletes do things because they're enjoying themselves, they're having a great time with their mates. They're the memories that you take, um, not so much the times that you swims in the sets, but the memories of the, the camp itself and the, the stuff you did outside the pool that you take through the rest of your life. Um, and because of that, you see really fun, fast, happy athletes. Yeah. Um, who inspired you to become a coach? Was there someone that you looked up to during your swimming career and you, and you said, you know, I want to, I want to fill those shoes one day and, and who inspired you to become a better coach? So you mentioned before as well, um, you worked under Brent Best for a number of years. Um, was, was he, you know, that, that driving force behind you becoming a successful coach? Yeah, I probably got the idea of starting to coach because um, I, I really idolised both our junior coach, Rod Furlong, um, and I uh, really looked up to him and just loved hanging out at the pool, et cetera, et cetera. That's probably what got the concept in my head of, of becoming a coach or the idea that it would be a good thing to explore. And then... Um, I swam a little bit with Stefan Widmar, then spent a lot of time with Brant Best and Jim Fowley as well, who was the mentor coach at the time. That really um, inspired me to to invest heavily into the profession and and really try and take my coaching to the next level. Yeah. Um, so you've been on a, on a lot of staging camps and you've been away a lot with the Australian swim team. Um, you know, your swimmers can do some absolutely crazy things during camp. So what is, what in saying that, what is uh, the most insane set that you've witnessed someone do like uh, for times or just for like someone who's absolutely pushed their limits? Uh, it's a hard one. I think um, probably what it's hard to describe. I think the best sets when I look at them as a coach, it's hard to describe in numbers because um it's, it's the manner in which they're swimming them, which is often the most impressive thing. Um, like watching Kay Campbell dive 25 points consecutively or, or um, you know, watching Matt Corton split multiple 56s back to back to back to back. Uh, they don't sound that impressive, I suppose, when you're saying them here, but when you watch them in, in person or, or you're watching a Matt Wilson, you know, push 30 point with 35 stroke rate and 14 strokes over and over and over again, that, to me, they're the most impressive things. Um, uh, I was really fortunate to watch James Magnuson right through the prime of his career. Um, I was holding the coffees and getting the stroke rakes back then, but uh, <laughs> it was really nice to watch him, you know, push. And not so much that he could push a 22 at training, but that he would do it. Um, it would get segments along the 50 and it would be exactly the rates along the 50 as per plan. 
exact stroke count, exact kicks off the wall. They're all the most impressive things to me. Yeah. Um, now I'm interested in, in knowing uh, your opinion about this next question. I spoke to Brett Hawke uh, a few episodes ago um, about the future of athlete performance um, and just taking, for example, um, you know, we'll say Ian Thorpe's uh, 200 freestyle, 400 freestyle. So in 2000, he went 340. Um, now we've got Mac Horton and Sun Yang also has posted 340 and 341. Um, but, you know, when you take back 20 years from that, I mean, given the technology and, and every, every other aspect of it, um, moving forward, how do you see swimmers getting better and better uh, in future, he mentioned, um, you know, we haven't unlocked completely the, the psychology behind the athlete mind um, and also touched a bit more on overtraining. Um, you know, it's a bit hard to, to out-train um, what we're doing now. So what would you say? Uh, oh, there's probably multiple factors. I think sometimes events, it's a little bit of the Roger Bannister effect where it, like if you look at men's, You've, you've given two good examples and another one is the men's 200 breaststroke the, the gold medalist from 2016 would have got fifth at the world champs in 2019 um so there's a little bit of that i think but i think as a sport we're relatively young in many aspects um and what i mean by that is um often as a coach you've got to have the interplay between um, individualizing a training program for an individual um, as well as fitting that into and creating a team and using the team to push performances and create a competitive training environment. And there's a balance and a trade-off between individualized training and creating a competitive training environment and, and challenging the athlete. And, and that's very individual. I think there's a few settings. Um, so if you think of a college system, you've got 40 people in the squad, you can't individualize that. Um, and some athletes will flourish in that. If you can't individualize it that much, and some athletes flourish that, well, you've got other squads that might have, you know, in Europe and in Australia, three athletes in it. It's very hard to create a competitive training environment. So I think if it's the interplay between those two and getting that right, as well as I think there's a um, understanding physiology a little bit closer, measuring VO2s, uh, manipulating that, um, you know, there's a lot of debate about the, how you analyze um, lactate to training. Um, there's still a lot to understand as a sport um, and where, like where strength and conditioning fits in that is another thing as well. So I think there's just like when I look at my athletes and I can see, you know, 10 things that they may need to improve. Um, you know, if the whole world's looking at all their athletes with that many things to improve, there's gonna be people that push forward and through to the next level. Yeah. What would you say to the coaches um, that don't really have that option of, you know, individualizing? Obviously, with 40 athletes in your, in your squad, um, you can't individualize every session. So what, what would you recommend? What would be the best approach um, for young coaches that, you know, have people finaling at national age or meddling or just on the brink of, you know, breaking into finals, um, you know, what would you say to them in terms of how they would kind of structure their training programs? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good one. I think the important thing to remember generally, and now there's exceptions to that rule, um, they're still developmental athletes at that point. So there's a period, there's a series of all round skills they need to learn and you're still building an engine, not necessarily utilizing that engine at that point. So you can categorize athletes together a bit easier. So you may have um, a, a more sprint-based, recovery-based program. You may have a, a larger endurance aerobic program and then an athletes that will sit in either and then athletes will cross in and out of either. Um, again, I'm not super experienced in that because I've only ever coached in smaller programs of under 10 athletes. So it's not anywhere near it's somewhere that I'm an expert at. You probably should have asked Brett Hawke. But, um, that's how I would do it is categorize the athletes into chunks. You might have four, um, four groups uh, and then athletes that jump from group to group within those sessions. Yeah. Um, so going back to um, like the Australian swim team and we'll talk a bit more about Olympics next year. So um, who are you most looking forward to uh, watching race next year? I mean, um, don't be biased and say Meg or Brad or Matt, you, you got to pick someone else. Um, and do you believe that someone, um, even a junior swimmer is, is flying a bit under the radar and you think we'll have a big breakout year next year? Well, there's a, a budding young tournament freestyler that has just had a knee injury swimming at St. Peter's, I heard <laughs> really well at the moment in the background. So um, if I can't take one of my own athletes, I'll, I'll, I'll pick him. Oh, thanks, Adam. <laughs> and um, yeah, and Swimming Australia obviously have a, a lot of talent and a lot of depth. Um, who, who would you say would, doesn't even have to be next year, could be in the next, you know, two to three years. Who, who would you, you say that you're looking forward to that will have a big breakout year, you know, coming in the next few years? Well, it's hard to tell because a lot of the guys that performed well last year, um, at the world champs, so Matt, Ariane, Clyde, Zach Stubbley Cook, um, Matt Temple, they're all quite young. Um, so there's no reason why they can't go another level. I mean, on, on top of that, your, your normal superstars, your Campbells and your Hortons, et cetera, and Kyle as well is very young. Um, so there's no reason those guys can't have a breakout year beyond uh, going from medalist to, to the next level up and being a gold medalist world record holder at the same time. Yeah. Now I had my next question of like uh, secrets of coaching, which uh, I was going to ask you, but obviously there's no, there's no secrets of coaching. Um, but what, what, how do you believe that you is, you're so successful in what you do? Do you think, um, you know, your time as an elite athlete has really helped you or you, you know, your background as a physio has, has helped you a lot, your mentors, what would you say? Uh, I think I'm pretty fortunate that I really enjoy what I do um, and I really enjoy watching the athletes succeed. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I, it's an interesting one. I think um, getting to know each of the athletes individually um, rather than coaching them as a group with a, a big set of rules um, and coaching a little bit more in the grey and not having a black and white uh, way in which each athlete is communicated to um, so we might speak to the, the, and treat the 17 year old up and come up quite differently to the 23 year old, 24 year old athlete that's been on the team for a few years. Um, I would like to say that that's a strength of mine, the relationships I build with the athletes, but, um, I don't know, you, you're swimming in Queensland now, so maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, well, well, the, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, and you, you do have a, a, a close bunch team uh, down in, in SOPAC in Sydney. And um, I, I completely agree. I think that's, that's an aspect of your coaching that, um, that you do really well and you really um, get to know your swimmers um, more and, and you're great with indiv individualising, you know, sets and, and what they need and what's best for them. So, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Um, going back a bit more on your swimming career, what was the hardest set that you did uh, as a swimmer uh, given that you had a, a 200 fly background, we had Lachlan Staples on and he mentioned that, uh, you know, he had some big ones and um, he had a lot of uh, 3K fly sets and enjoyed them, the psycho. So did you have any of those that kind of stuck out and, um, you know, to this day, you just look back and you're like, thank God, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, well, I think I probably had the best of both worlds from a swimming point of view. So I swam... Um, a fairly old school volume-based aerobic program up until I say 21 um, at Banks and Sports, where I later coached, and then um, swam with Stefan Widmer. So two very different styles of very very hard coaching. So it it could be anywhere from swimming with Rod, and, and you would have done similar things of you know 10 400s on five minutes, 200 free, 200 fly, descend one to five, um, long course off you go. Um, survive um i actually didn't think they were probably the most challenging because um it's just kind of surviving and grinding away and then with stefan the, the the repetitive like 35s at 100 rate right, over and over and over and over and over again you know 2050s and um, 2035s um that were probably more challenging in which you're vomiting in the drain afterward yeah well we yeah i spoke to james hickman um on a again a few episodes ago and yeah he was um he was touching on those 200 fly sets short course that you know it was the hypoxic work mixed with lactate building and um yeah he loved a good chuck after training <laughs> um so in your opinion um obviously this is very individual but how do you get the best from your swimmers well, I think it's um, like the term to trust the process is thrown around a lot in trying to get an athlete to perform. And if they may not, you know, do the race plan, um, we go back to that term. It's kind of overused a fair bit. I think the important thing to remember is if they, they didn't trust the process or, or do the race plan or anything like that, it's probably either that they, they either didn't trust you as the coach um, in the plan itself, um, or, or they didn't trust their own ability um, to perform that plan. They may completely agree with it, completely trust that it's the best thing to do, but didn't back themselves. So I think it's, it's really actually targeting those two as individual aspects um, and building uh, trust in themselves to building some self-esteem, self-perception um, in isolation and some set design and some communication skills to do that, as well as building a relationship and, and, and explaining uh, both the training plan, the training program, as well as the race plan and then practicing that race plan over and over again to get them to trust it. Yeah. Um, when you go away on teams, do you have a, a favourite coach that you like to hang around with? Uh, I mean, your coach is not bad. <laughs> he, he's, you don't get a lot of sleep, um, Dean Boxall. 
Uh, I got some fairly normal. I think I normally share with either Chris Mooney, um, Dean Boxall, or Scott Talbot. Um, I think it's because we're the younger coaches, or Mooney's not as young as us, but he thinks he is. Um, uh, David Lash, I share with as well, is pretty good. But oh, I, I really like it. the great thing about the Australian, like the Australian team that I've been on the last few years, um, is the variety of people that you get as successful coaches. So I spend a lot of time now with Simon Cusack, incredibly amazing coach, and. He's absolutely nothing like me in anything, in any way possible. Um, he's actually a good bloke. Um, and then like Dean, who's the opposite to Simon in so many ways, and Chris, and then, I mean, Jack and Rowan has complete different styles of leaders as well. Um, yeah, it's, I just really like the variety that we get and the, not only the age gap, um, I think I'm the same age as Vince's kids, um, but the, the, the different walks of life people have had. Yeah, yeah. And what, what sort of things do you like to get up to uh, when you go into camp with the coaches? Uh, we play a lot of Monopoly cards, probably a little bit too much Monopoly cards. Um, and I might an adult beverage every now and then, but uh, table tennis gets quite competitive. Cards gets quite competitive. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, the physios don't like that the coaches decide that's the time of year we're going to get really fit probably should do some pre-training before training camp, but normally our, our own personal training loads because we get together and do gym sessions and run and normally someone ends up injured. Um, but yeah, that's probably how we pass the time. But also um, it's a fairly good distraction away from the competition. Yeah, yeah. And, and those nights uh, going to karaoke, right? Yeah, look, I'm not the greatest karaoke singer, um, but yeah, I do my best. Now, Dean at training always mentions... Yeah, um, in there, Jacob. Sorry? Oh, you're still there? Yeah, we're good, we're good. All right, yeah, it just keeps dropping out. Sorry, I've had, had issues uh, with this internet. Um, yeah, so at, at training, uh, Dean Boxall, my coach, always mentions, you know, he loves to be around the, <laughs> around the boys and... Um, you know, he loves talking about how he wants to wrestle Chris Mooney and you. So uh, what would you say? Who's, who would win out in a wrestle between uh, you, Dean Boxall and uh, Chris Mooney? Well, I think if it was WWE wrestling in which it was about the showmanship, Dean would win. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, it would be like a, a Josh Papali ankle tap from Chris Mooney that would end us both fairly quickly if you wanted to. But it takes a lot of poking of the bear to get the paws out. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I wouldn't want to witness this. <laughs> um, what would you say has been your biggest struggle as a coach? Um, I've probably been fairly fortunate with, um, like I've worked with a lot of good athletes um, and, and really great guys and some great girls to coach with. So. Probably not so much. I've been quite fortunate. I haven't had some really down periods in my career at all. I think the challenging part as any coach is often at times in people's career, um, you might want the result more than they do. Um, in, in when, I, when, I, when I say by that is they're, they're articulating that they're, they're willing to do X and Y to get the outcome. So then when you hold them account, accountable to that, they actually don't want to. Um, and it's trying to... to, to like get underneath that and figure out why. Um, 
so that's probably it. Um, is when yeah, like when when athletes can uh, want to really do it, um, but a little bit not always willing to jump right in. Um, and then I'm treating them as if they are jumped right in um, and fully invested, but they're they're still uh, one foot on land. Yeah. How do you how how would you approach that situation? So um, I understand that you. Again, you're very close with your athletes and you do um, have regular meetings with them. Um, you and your athletes are very honest. Um, that's, that's what I got anyway from my time with you as my coach. Um, so how, how do you approach that? Do you, um, do you, you know, have, have psych sessions or do you just have one-on-one -on -one meetings um, reminding them? Um, I understand that they always have like a written goal for the season, short term and long term. Um, so, what do you generally do if someone kind of falls off the wagon a little bit? Yeah, well, it's a pretty common, uh, as you're right. Like, I have a lot of either, either formal or informal one on ones with each athlete. I think that's quite important and one of the big advantages of having a smaller group. Um, it's pretty common at the beginning or end of each training block. Um, it's okay, well, where do we want to be at the end of this block? What are the goals of this next block? Okay, well, what, what are the, you know, what are the markers are going to suggest we're on track or off track? And then, and then what are the behaviours um, that are going to be required or what are the changes in behaviour that are going to be required um, to get there? And, and quite often, it's only a few one percenters that you need to change in your time in or out of the pool that has a huge snowballing effect on your career. So... I mean, an example is, you know, if you charge your phone in the kitchen and not in your bedroom at night, you may be getting 45 minutes extra night of sleep. And therefore, over a period of a month, you've got hours and hours and hours more sleep. Therefore, you're more motivated. You're, you've got high testosterone levels. You're a nicer person to deal with. You're, you're recovering better. Therefore, you're training better and your life can cascade in a completely different direction. Just quite often trying to, to really find out what are the small, subtle changes you can make. Um, it may be, you know, not breathing within the flags every time and then you start to swim a little bit faster, then you go on faster cycles and then you snowball in a direction. Um, it's really trying to identify those as an athlete. Um, but finding out what they are is a hard thing, but, but sticking to new habits is the hardest thing. Um, and then holding them account to that. If they identify them, that, that and and I ask them, how do they want me to hold them account to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that honesty that you have, like that connection with your athletes, um, will, in my opinion, anyways, what I think um, separates you from the rest of the of the coaches, anyway. Um, so we'll talk a bit more about. Um, Best coaching achievement. So last year, uh, Matt Wilson uh, equaled the world record in the 200 breaststroke. Um, looking back now, would you would you say that that's your your best coaching achievement? You know, being a part of that and and, and having your your hand on that, like really, like it, it's been such a you know such a, a journey between you and Matt. You, you know, he came as a, a young. 13 or 14 year old and um, you've really helped influence him into such a great elite athlete. Um, would that world record be your best coaching achievement? 
Yeah, I think it's um, so on paper. Yes, obviously. And I think what makes it really nice is that it's, it's been a really good partnership and that partnership's evolved for almost eight years now. Um, so what makes the moment special is that, uh, you know, we used to be coming in in his school uniform and smelling like uh, Lynx Africa um, with the clothes that his mum picked out all the way through to standing on live TV um, and performing like that. But I suppose as a coach, you just really, you get a kick out of watching athletes supersede their expectations. So, um, you know, anyone from an 18 year old that, you know, was just going to try and make the final and they end up winning a medal or, or um, you know, trying to win a medal and a breakable record. So, um, yeah, so yes, on paper, definitely. But uh, it's just, there's many enjoyable moments along the way. Yeah. Um, do you have a long-term coaching goal? Um, you, you touched on before um, that SOPAC, when you were working under Brent Best, you had uh, five of the athletes go to the, the London Olympics. Um, is one of your long-term goals having, you know, to bringing, bringing back that level um, of competitiveness on the Australian swim team, having, you know, a particular number or, or what else would it be for your long-term um, goal? Yeah, look, I mean, to me, I'd love for all my athletes to make the Olympics. Uh, there's nine in the squad, so that would be uh, probably unlikely, though, but it'd be nice. Um, I, it's, no, not really a number or a... I'm not really, I suppose, interested in a legacy or a... I'm quite... Um, I just really enjoy watching athletes take the next level and, and helping them go to become better or, and get to where they want to be, whether that is the Olympics or whether that is national junior team or whatever that is. I think the other part of that long term for me is I'm quite passionate about swimming in New South Wales. Um, and I'd like to maybe take up a more of a leadership position there in, in helping the state as a whole, as well as the individual athletes that I coach in driving it forward. Yeah. Um, so what would you say annoys you the most uh, as a coach? So you, you touched on before, obviously you got a, um, physio background and you know being in your squad for a number of years I know that you, <laughs> that you would get really annoyed at our uh, pre-training exercises you know we would just throw around the arms but you'd always feel like no rotator cuff like <laughs> and all your exercises would that be one that you know you'd say would annoy you uh yeah brothers fighting is a big one <laughs> you, know, you, you and Caleb uh something I learned as a coach pretty young, but, um, oh, I think so. It's more, um, yeah, with that, it's like, um, it, it's, it's just attention to detail. It's just an example of attention to detail. And, and in it's one of the small one to two percenters, um, that, um, is required, particularly as you get as an older athlete. And the hard thing is, uh, to be honest, I don't actually get that annoyed with that. It's just part of the job in regards to, you're trying to convince an 18 year old to prepare for injuries they might get when they're 22. Um, and it's expected that they're not going to be that disciplined with it. And you've got to teach that discipline and teach that um, and encourage the behaviors, which is, it's all kind of part of the job. The big one for me is I just hate complaining. I just, people complaining about the weather or the pool's cold or there's three people in my lane or two people in my lane. Um, it normally that coincides with a level of, whether it be a short-term level of motivation or, or fatigue um, and irritability. I just, they really, 
complaining about things that you can't change and don't matter is, and complaining for the sake of complaining kills me. Did I do any of that? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> You're just dropping like little hints in there, just saying. Yeah, yeah. this is a coaching session, by the way. <laughs> uh, going back now onto your, so your connection to your athletes. Um, building a relationship with your athletes obviously comes at some expense of uh, having some pests in the squad. Um, who would you say pests you the most? Like, uh, is there any one particular person? And I had Matt on earlier and he said uh, Alex Quash. So. <laughs> well, I haven't watched Matt's video yet, but uh, I think it would probably be Alex Quash at the moment. But uh, he brings a lot to the squad. It's, it's, he's hyperactive at times. Yeah. So that's, it, the, the, he brings a lot to the squad. I'm not going to say that he's he, he any capacity, um, but... He he, uh, he likes to race everything from the minute he walks in the door, and um, as much as Matt might get frustrated at times, it's actually very good for Matt, and it's been great for Matt. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I I completely agree, but I do see both sides. I have to say. <laughs> um. So what what separates a world class swimmer uh, from the rest? Obviously, again, this is very individual. Um, people have their strengths. Um, what, what, what would you say, what are some aspects that you can just think of on the spot of um, what separates a world-class swimmer from just the rest of their competition? Yeah, I mean, it's a good one. I think the, the big thing is that they, there's a few small habits they have. Now, whether they're deliberate, as in they, they deliberately made a decision to act in this way or, or they act in this way as a result of, you know, their, their upbringing, their family, their parents, their swimming history, their things that have happened to them have created these particular behaviours. There's a small set of behaviours, there's no doubt, that separate um, those guys that are, you know, world's best and those that are world class and those that are a level below that. And, and, and one of the biggest things I think is just how they emotionally cope with fatigue and how they emotionally cope um, with stress. And now that's a very generic thing. So that may be, you know, I've watched guys do sets, um, you know, like the Campbell stand up, vomit on the side of the block and just get up and no nonsense. Whereas other people, if they got to the point where they were vomiting, they'd be rolling around. Um, you know, pain is inevitable in our sports, particularly when you're pushing your body to the next level, but suffering is a decision you make. Um, and I think um, every athlete and, and every athlete that is world-class that I've worked with is world-class for a particular reasons. So they have particular strengths, but I would say that that's the commonality um, between them. When it is time to step up, um, they're able to avoid distraction and step up. Yeah. Um, now for young swimmers, I know you haven't spent like a whole lot of time with really junior swimmers. Um, but what are, what are the most common mistakes, um, that you'd say that young, young swimmers make, um, you know, as they get older into that more elite level, um, you know, all those, those kind of child prodigies that, um, you know, are, are 
fantastic. They're breaking Australian records at a young age. And then um, as they go older, they kind of uh, burn out a little bit. Um, what, are, are there more common mistakes that are made by them that cause that? Or what would you say? Uh, I think each athlete is individual. So I think um, there's a misconception that if you're PBing as a junior, your, your swimming is, you know, um, so I'll reword that. It's very easy to continue to improve, particularly as a male from 14, 15, 16, 17, because you, you're just going through puberty essentially and then you're just training more. So you were training five times a week. You train six times a week, you get a little bit better. You train seven times a week, period time, you get a little bit better. You, you add weights, you get a little bit better. The challenging part is that you're going to get to a point where there's nothing left to add and you have to start to do the processes better along the way. So you're going to have to swim better within those eight sessions or 10 sessions, whatever it may be. So I think there's a few things there. It's being patient with young athletes um, and because everybody can tolerate different, there's no set way. So, um, you know, there's often the general rule of you swim your age a fortnight. So if you're um, 14, you swim seven times a week. If you're 15, you swim seven, then eight, then seven, then eight, 16, eight, then eight, et cetera. But that what each athlete can tolerate at different points because athletes mature at different ages is different. So for some athletes, um, you know, the best thing for their age group swimming is to continue to play rugby league till they're 17, 18. For other athletes, it would be... Um, it's important that they, they stop that a little bit earlier because of, you know, it's blunting their performances. They're ready to take a next step and can't and getting frustrated with the sport to find out where, how that layering of their, their career through the age group ranks, that has to be really good communication between the parent, the athlete and the coach. And there has to be a plan in place. And that plan is going to change with things happening, uh, but there has to be a long-term approach and plan in place. So for our guys, the new ones that come into the program, they don't come much younger than 17, 18 for us. But there is on paper a four or five year plan. This year we're going to do this and then we're going to add this and then we're going to add this and then we're going to build you towards a peak performance in a particular year. Yeah. And if things don't go to plan, which I mean, a lot of the time they usually don't, um, do you then sit down and reassess and then, um, you know, you reassess your whole whole plan again or what would you do yeah i mean the likelihood of the plan taking actual place is almost zero but the plan just gives you a direction um to go um and a, and the plan can be conceptually um you know so we may be thinking about building the athlete's capacity and their their um resilience in this block so that's quite a conceptual plan as opposed to actually we're going to do 40 kilometers a week etc 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 um, so, so yes, things we can, can shift and take place, but the, the idea that, um, and, and people progress faster or slower and, and all things don't work and you have to take a step back in swimmers. And we've done that a lot with athletes pushed forward. They're not coping. So take a step back in the, the total weekly training load, um, that they can tolerate, whether that be physically or emotionally, they can tolerate. Um, you swam at 3.49 with only eight sessions a week, if you remember that. I do remember that. That was a dream. <laughs> 40 kilometres a week is the most you did, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> working smarter, not working harder. <laughs> um, how, was, how was your transition into retirement? So you, 
you were keeping yourself accountable and you were going to uni, um, you know, doing your physio degree. And then when you did finish uh, swimming, you did um, transition into, into physio. Um, what would you say to swimmers um, that are having a bit of trouble, um, you know, transitioning into that retirement? Obviously, it, earlier to get on to something, the better. Um, but, you know, for a lot of swimmers who think that they're going to be doing swimming a lot longer than expected um, and, you know, either fall short by illness or injury, um, how do you think that they would make that transitional a bit smoother? Yeah, look, I think it's important. I think I was quite fortunate that I had um, other goals to chase. So um, I had a uni degree to finish that I was really enjoying and, and, and um, like I had a reason to get out of bed and, and push myself to do that degree. And then, then as I was finishing and the coaching progressed and I, was, I had a, a, something to pursue so I had to both avenues to pursue, like a, a meaningful career that I enjoyed. Um, so it just almost took place of the swimming, um, but physio and the swimming coaching and inevitably swimming coaching. So I think that the challenge where athletes fall into trouble is, is the only reason they're getting out of bed in the morning is to go to training. There's no real, and then take that training and, and take the next quality set or the next competition away. And you sit and wonder what, what, what am I doing? getting out of bed for like uh, I might as well sleep until 10. Um, so it's, it's having, it's as your career progresses is having, um, and I don't like the idea of a backup plan. Um, if swimming doesn't work out, I hear that thrown around a lot. It actually really frustrates me when people say, Oh, I've got to go to uni in case swimming doesn't work out. Well, you could end up winning 10 gold medals at the Olympics and 20 world records. You're still going to need to do something for the next 40 years, 50 years of your life. It's not a backup plan. It's, a, it's an actual plan. Um, as well as it's, and, you know, having a healthy, balanced athlete is, um, is pursuing some part of your career. Now, that may be university. It may be TAFE. It may be doing internships, work experience, maybe literally just working. Um, but I think it's important for athletes to start to explore um, and now the good thing is an athlete, you may have a bit more time before you start your career. You're not finishing uni and finishing school and going straight into university and then off you go. You've got a bit more time. You can chop and change university degrees. So it's actually a bit of an advantage you have. Um, but it is actually pursuing a career or exploring careers while you're still swimming. So you have another passion um, to pursue when swimming finishes up. Yeah. And if someone in your squad, so say if someone in your squad um, didn't really have a direction after swimming, um, do you encourage them um, to find that, that pathway? Obviously, um, the New South Wales Institute of Sport um, really does a lot of work with athletes in, in that, helping that transition into a career after sport. Um, but what are the conversations that you have with athletes that would struggle with, you know, building up that, that career that they would have after sport? Yeah, I mean, you can only lead a horse to water. And it's interesting. I've had athletes that have retired a long time ago. Like, why didn't you make me go to uni? Well, well mate, we tried. Um, but, um, yeah, so we're quite fortunate. We've got a really good um, uh, athlete wellbeing um, and careers advice um, experts that, uh, that are part of the performance team. So I think 
they don't sit external to that. So if we look at the holistic athlete, um, their, their well-being and education and career is part of that. So when we have meetings about every month or so with the physiologist, the biomech, the psychologist, the strength and conditioner, myself, the, they're in that meeting as well and discussing that part of the athlete's life. Um, uh, that also then, you know, highlights the importance to the athlete that they're part, that's part of the plan. Progression of them holistically is part of the plan. I think, um, and encouraging athletes to develop themselves to become, to grow outside of the pool as well is important. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and finally, would you have any advice uh, for your younger self? So if you could go back now to, let's say, 10-year-old Adam uh, and give me a Adam. <laughs> yeah, with uh, Rod yelling at you at Birong Pool. Um, would you give him any advice or, you know, um, you know, kind of what to expect uh, in future? You've, you've been around and you've done a lot. Um, so what would you say? Would I try and give Rod advice as a 10-year-old? I probably tried um, <laughs> at that age. Um, no, I think uh, I wouldn't have any regrets, really. Like, keep doing what you're doing. Like, um, things have turned out pretty good. Like, there's going to be good years, bad years. There's going to be um, times in which you, um, you feel like you're killing the coaching and there's going to be times where you feel like you've got no idea. Um, tends to be, I feel like, the more you dive into a topic, the more you realize you don't know about that topic um, within coaching or within swimming, but also within many things in life. But I'll probably you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Stop mucking up and concentrate and maybe listen a bit more uh, to Rod that you do less 1,000 butterflies as punishment. Yeah, don't talk during training or else he's going to shout at you and give you a 1,000 flies. So. Yeah, yeah. No, probably should have listened to that more frequently. It would have been good. <laughs> Yeah, just to help for your own sake anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, that, that's all I've got for you. Um, thanks so much for coming on and taking the time out. Uh, sorry again for Wednesday. Um, yeah, we just had issues here. But, yeah, thanks for coming on and taking a bit of time out from your busy schedule to, to join us on here today. Well, mate, hopefully when your uh, Premier opens those borders, I'll be able to see you soon. Let's hope so. Uh, Queensland State is probably where it's going to be at, I think. <ll <Hoyt> we'll see. We'll see. All right. See you, Adam. Thanks Pleasure. for coming on.